0: Well, here we are. It's just myself here today. There's no one else. No one else I'm aware of. Just just good old Mooncat. Just sat here answering your questions and queries and all sorts. And Boom! Whoa! What the hell was that?
1: I don't know why you wanted to make this a I mean, if you want to make it a solo vehicle. What?
0: Where did you come from, Ocho?
1: Same place I always be my, my luxuriously, not to say luxuriant because it is carpeted, vocal booth. Oh, in Orange County
0: So why, why have you got, when you say you've got a carpeted vocal booth do you mean that it's just, it's got a nice carpet on the floor or do you mean, Benny Hill style, that you've got carpet on the ceiling as soundproofing? It's on the walls Is it really? Yeah Fair nice, very nice
1: And all being well, my voice should sound reasonably dry
0: So what are we doing here anyway, we are Ministers Without Portfolio this week
1: This is Mailbag and Beyond Mailbag and Beyond And we've got a number of different headings We've got outstanding business to deal with And I thought maybe we should ask some questions Now do you mean Questions of life Of ourselves Maybe of the shows we are watching Maybe of the listenership if any
0: I have a question Straight off
1: I wasn't really thinking necessarily of each other That seems a bit indulgent to me
0: Now, what I want to ask you is this. I put something your way the other day and I haven't told you in advance I'm going to ask you this question so I'd like to sort of play word association and then expand upon it. So in other words, give me a word and then use some more words afterwards. What were your thoughts on the Secret Only Fools and Horses episode Licensed to Drill?
1: I thought it was interesting in that you said it was weird. I think it's weird. Why is
0: it weird? It's weird because, and this is actually, I was going to explain to listeners if you've never seen this this thing, in the course of me explaining it, I think that that will also confirm why I think it's weird. It's a little area of pop culture which definitely deserves at least a little book to be written about it. TV shows or, or films or musicians or whatever it may be who are basically doing corporate gigs and these things are not intended to be seen by the general public. Probably the most well known and yet not intended to be seen example would be when Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant made the office values for Microsoft and that was intended to be ah, for...
1: I thought you were going to talk about Monty Python and all their like their Birdseye special I could have, I could have,
0: yes yeah, that's a good point, I could have done that we'll come back to that in Just a Just because I thought I... you
1: were actually going to talk not about corporate but about educational so this was paid for by private interest, I thought it was an educational thing. Yeah, this would because be... I, I remember at school being shown John Cleese talking about sulfuric acid.
0: Yeah, well, I think it depends on what the individual gig is. I think in this case, this is an episode of Only Fools and Horses made in 1984 which is I suppose you would say part educational and also sort of part corporate as well because what it's trying to do is get uh, school children interested in pursuing a career in the oil industry. So I think it probably has a foot in both camps in this instance, and it's all shot on film, there's no studio audience and it's, I'm trying to think now the only other time that I can think of when we've seen the inside of the Trotters flat on film is in Miami twice in 1991. Secondly I think I'm right in saying we haven't yet had an episode of Only Fools and Horses with no audience, because I think the first one with no audience was to Holland back Christmas special in 85. So, again, we've got on a little tick there. And, of course, the thing that then sort of throws you, if you hadn't already twigged that something was different about this, is that Dell's talking an awful lot about the oil industry.
1: <laughs> and, yes, and, that's, and, and, that's the <laughs> only point for me, which she starts getting weird, where he's yeah. laid
0: out the table with all the products of oil. Yeah, exactly, because you'd think, if this was a regular episode, you'd think Dell would maybe throw in a couple of these facts about the oil industry and then cut to the chase as to how he's going to earn out of it. But it does seem that this particular section of what would have been, say, 10 seconds worth of a half an hour script this seems to be really laboured and is, is taking more like 7 or 8 minutes and even though Rodney actually says at one point to Dell if you haven't seen this by the way, go looking for it on the internet, it's called Licensed Drill Only Frozen Horses 1984 so go looking for it, if you can but, spoiler alert, so if you don't want to hear how it ends, and there's not much of a plot then fast forward a couple of minutes Rodney actually says to Dell at one point when Dell's saying that he's bought this oil rig. He says, oh, you didn't read that magazine very well, did you? Well, you know, rewind about five minutes previously, and Dell was spouting off bloody facts, figures left, right and centre about the oil industry. He seemed to be a bloody expert in it. It was like he did an open university course in it. So, I don't know, he must have retained a fair bit of what was in that magazine, the Petroleum Times. I don't know if that's a real publication or not. That suggests, and it ends up with, with Dell Boy force feeding Rodney a sausage. You don't think that that's weird?
1: No, I thought the only thing you were saying was, it's on film and it's no audience and that's weird. I was surprised how well it worked. And it was almost a gaze into a parallel universe where Only Fools and Horses was actually the BBC's answer to Minder.
0: Well, yeah, you could say that. I mean, well, would you say that Only Fools and Horses is BBC's answer to Minder in a way?
1: Not enough of an answer. In terms of an answer, it's kind of like, yeah, yeah, Okay. It's not a full-blooded, well-researched answer like Dell gives to all those questions about oil that nobody asked. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just thinking, you know, Only Fools and Horses, as a 16mm film, hour-long, left-track free show, doesn't seem that impossible.
0: No, and of course later on it's proven that it can do exactly that because there are a handful of episodes that have no audience and are largely on film. So, I mean, it certainly it can work like that it's just that but there must be some shows where that would
1: kill the comedy stone dead i'm just looking back at past sitcoms covered by the sitcom club can you imagine dear
0: john like that oh i could certainly imagine it like that but it would be a little bit grim one i'm thinking of is just good friends Went from being thirty minutes VT with an audience to suddenly producing a ninety minute Christmas special on film with no audience, and apparently wasn't overly successful. I mean, it was well. This is what a happened, s- it isn't was a it? Success, After it the wasn't...
1: 70s sitcom film boom, your sitcom film still existed, but it was only as a TV special. What about Terry and June the movie? Was that going to be a TV special? Terry and June the movie. It was planned, but never happened.
0: Well, we've already seen Terry and June. On the big screen in Bless His House, the movie.
1: Yeah, but they're not Terry and June.
0: They're not Terry and June, but they are. We, we they're
1: not Terry and June because it's not about them.
0: Well, no, the, it's not. The no point of Terry
1: and June is, is that the universe bends around them until it becomes their story. Okay. Anything you watch with Terry and June as incidental characters is not Terry and June.
0: Let me give you something which I think would work, or not at all work on film and without an audience. Some others do have. Them. Big set pieces and big belly laughs and so on. I find out how to envisage that. I don't know what that would be like. That would be, be is quite that odd.
1: Yeah, well, it wouldn't work as television. Because I'm thinking it was... Is it true, the rumour, that it was created as a vehicle for Norman Wisdom?
0: Not that I'm aware of. but Yeah, I can believe that. But I don't think you... It certainly wouldn't have turned out to be the same show. I don't because big
1: slapstick think... set pieces the meat and drink of cinema for a long time, Laurel and Hardy. I mean, Laurel and Hardy, their run of shorts is almost a sitcom
0: in and of itself. I'm not so sure. I'm, okay, I need to I need to look into this. That's a good question there, but I don't think by 1974 that Norman Wisdom would have been doing a high-paced farce with lots of stunts like that. I mean, his peak, as far as that kind of thing was concerned, was some 20 years earlier. I find it hard to envisage that, to be honest. Surely he would have been too old for that role. I'm going to hit day.
1: the research by which I mean the...
0: (laughs) The internet. (laughs) Okay,
1: according to the BBC website, the BBC wanted Norman Wisdom or Ronnie Barker. But that's not quite the same as creating a vehicle around him with his knowledge. Interesting.
0: I I get the immediate comparison, but I'm thinking Norman Wisdom would have been too old for the role that became Frank Spencer, because Frank Spencer is supposed to be a newlywed... I don't know how that would have gone, that would have been an interesting It's one of those things, we don't it. know
1: how much is in place and how much gets changed when they change actor yeah, It may and it also, have been, I mean if you're thinking normalism or Ronnie Barker chances are they would write him as being married for years and just and a long-suffering wife
0: I have heard the story about I think it was David Nobbs who said it himself about when he was asked who he envisaged playing Reggie Perrin and he said Ronnie Barker
1: Yeah, well I think that's a real case of a show changing radically because of the lead actor. A Ronnie Barker Reginald Perry would be a a little grey man sent mad by the system. With Leonard Rossiter, I don't know about you but the feeling I get is, no he was always mad. This is just the point where it's burst but he was always going to go nuts.
0: Yes, and also he seems to after his initial discomfort he seems to really revel in it. I think Ronnie Barker perhaps might have been more somebody who... He was in this sort of unusual situation, but I don't think he would have been necessarily too comfortable with it, whereas, you know, Ron Roster really just sort of revels in it and sort of has that then sort of effect on other people as well. Now here's a question for you. Which sitcom do you think would work best with a silent episode?
1: Hmm...
0: Now, the reason that I, I've brought this question up is that I confessed to you the other day that I had once fallen asleep in front of Doctor Down Under on Carlton Select, and as a result, my memory of it was that the second half of the programme was 45 seconds long and contained no dialogue. I've since discovered that that was incorrect. But it got me thinking about, OK, could you have a show... I think it would have, it would have to be a show which, which, generally speaking, was not one which was dialogue heavy, so you couldn't do it with something like a like, lads but could you do it with something like, for example on the buses, where everything is being conveyed just by sounds so Blakey is just going ah, and Jack is just leering that. Kind of thing. so yeah, could you do it just with sounds and still get something close to a plot conveyed
1: somebody must have done something like that
0: that one with the goose is pretty much silent anyway I mean, once they've established a like do on the bus that. I don't well, like to I'm think quite, oh. about it.
1: It's upsetting.
0: <laughs> don't tell me you're not going to get that out on Christmas Day. Is that a line from... The... <laughs> a line from Brian Rick's farce. Now, once they've established that the goose is on the bus, from that point onwards it is just them largely screaming, isn't it? So, oh, Up you know, Pompeii. Yeah, okay, right.
1: So... So we're talking about two separate ideas, though. Non-verbal and silent. Which I think for Up Pompeii could have worked. Okay, either there was way. no...
0: There is no language. So sounds are permissible, but there's no discernible language.
1: Actually, I was going to say earlier, oh yeah, when you, you couldn't do it with Yes Minister. But hang on a minute. You know the famous thing about Yes Minister that there are notes in the margin of the script saying, Paul does not have to say this line if he doesn't want to. So maybe. I think what would decide it is partially format, but just partially who you've got in the cast.
0: Yeah, I mean, you, well, you you need to be able to Trust that they weren't going to take that kind of direction literally and make all of the lines optional, because then you've got a problem. I don't know. Okay, well, I'm I'm going to yeah, I'm going to say it's got it's going to have to be something broad. Brucey and Slinger's day. <laughs> uh, okay, well, yeah, you could. Maybe it's not an existing vehicle. Maybe you've got to create a vehicle for this, right? So you could. Okay, let's put Brucey in there. Let's put Frankie Howard in there. We'll put Leonard Roster in there as well. Right? And he can sort of ricksby style <laughs> that kind of thing. And okay, who else have we got who's got a non language based catchphrase? Bob Monkhouse Hmm <laughs> Now you see <laughs> you could you tricks. couldn't see the hand movement I did there, but that was trust me, that was pure Rory Bremner. If you could have seen that you would have thought, Oh my god, somebody's put on an episode of Celebrity Squares without me realising. Jack Douglas. Hey What about Alan Rothwell? He only has one word <laughs> catchphrase. <laughs> That's, that's sort of. He that's could be like them. Marcel Marceau in Silent uh, yes, movies Yes, <laughs> in. Okay. I mean, I think that universally the word hello is understood, so I think, got, I think we can get away with that. Yeah, okay. We'll do some of that. Okay, so you've got Alan, hello, Rothwell. He's in there. Les Dawson. Ooh, he'd be in there. <laughs> I think this is got, a horribly this...
1: crowded cast you have. I don't think there are any supporting players. This is just going to be too many Chiefs.
0: Okay, support and play. Okay, so we've got all the chiefs then. We've got all the like, chiefs. We need some. Just, just we need to some... get all these people together
1: and say, right, this is only going to be a long shot, so
0: you're really going to have to play up to be noticed. <laughs> right, we need some steadfast character actors to come in and hold this all together. So I'm going to nominate straight away. I'm going to nominate Henry McGee. So he can be like, he, he can be the Fred running through it. He's, he's, he's there with his clipboard. And he's gotta go around them all and make sure they all know what they're doing and so on. Hilda Baker. Hang on a minute,
1: you've got Hilda Baker who reportedly was not entirely comfortable with other people getting laughs and <laughs> making her share a stage <laughs> with Brucie and Les Dawson and Bob Monkhouse <laughs> and all the rest. And hoping that yeah. they're not going to get a laugh and upset her.
0: This 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 might end badly. <laughs> This isn't much of a mailbag. No, I've got a letter. I've got a letter in front of me. Oh, great. Well. Yeah? Shall, shall I throw it? Because it's addressed to yourself? Beyond.
1: Let's have some mailbag.
0: Okay, then. So it's a mailbag. Okay, this is this is addressed to yourself. Ocho. What about that Gary Sparrow He's a bit of a prevert, isn't he? Always having his end away, left, right, and centre. What do you make of him then? Who wrote that? <laughs> me. It's not a mailbag then, is it? It's it's a letter that I've addressed to yourself and I've presented it to you and so I now await your answer.
1: Yeah, he's no better than he ought to be.
0: See, I'm sort of disappointed that there was no season 7 in which he, in his own way, has a sort of Reggie Perrin breakdown. The thing is, in those six series, he has a strange sort of moral code. He doesn't mind cheating on his wife, becoming a bigamist and fathering a child with his new bride doesn't mind doing any of that That, that's absolutely fine but when ron suggests him for example putting some money on the horses or whatever it is then he thinks that somehow that's no that's 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 not right you know that goes against my principles and i just can't accept them so i I wonder if perhaps i don't know
1: no that's not right that's not something i like to do i'm getting a feeling it's kind of protagonist-centered morality Oh, no, cheating on horse races is, is wrong because it's not something I personally would do.
0: But I think also sometimes he forwards the theory that you, you've got to be careful because you can't mess with history. I mean, the second he put his foot in 1939, he buggered up history. No, he didn't. We know that If he, he became moves a speck of dust in 1939, he's changed the course of history. So the idea that then him... No, in his quits... personal
1: history, as he knows it, is already the one that he was...
0: In, but he doesn't know. But he doesn't know that until the end. That's a, oh, by the way, massive spoiler alert! If you don't want to know how Goodnight Sweetheart ends, don't listen to the previous forty-five seconds. He doesn't. It's, it's, <laughs> so it's he a very vague spoiler. Come on. Okay, so what he thinks he eventually should be doing once he realizes that that he can do this, he thinks, why do I just randomly wander around the West End? I uh, am looking for these time portals all over the place, and anywhere that I go, I am just going to have a, a a gay old time like in the Funstones. and so before we know it he is a multi-billionaire with 98% of the world's wealth in his bank account because of all these dodgy dealings and he's fathered 437 children um, I think there's a reason are sitcom producer <laughs> <laughs> are you suggesting in, in some small way that Gary Sparrow would have lost the sympathy of the audience by behaving in this manner
1: the sympathy of the audience was very thin and brittle as it was. I think just watching him take over the world for his own gratification <laughs> is just pushing it slightly too far. I
0: got his sparrow and I'll do whatever the fuck I want. Who are you? Just <laughs> pull, he just pulls out a pistol. Anybody gives him any trouble, he just blows their head off. Yeah, I mean, are you? I, mean, oh, I don't see the problem with this. I half past eight on Tuesday evening, man and woman are beast of it moves, I'll have it. <laughs> That's his catchphrase. He he seems to retain the sympathy of the audience, despite <laughs> despite being a horrible person. And so I'm just thinking, just let him run with it. Why ever not?
1: I think you'd need maybe another six series, really, just because if I I think you're thinking something in the nature of a scientific experiment, which is why do they like him, and at what point will they stop liking him? <laughs> so you need to just turn his unpleasantness up very slightly every episode and then find out at what point that the ratings go down or the appreciation index goes down right I think, <laughs> <it's>... <laughs> just on, series 6 he's a monster and it just starts with him on a throne of gold going <laughs> <laughs> that's your opening shot of series 6 I'm not sure
0: Okay, I think I'm not sure the, the data
1: that comes back would be useful. <laughs>
0: yeah, the BBC, uh, in a cost-cutting, uh, a foolhardy cost-cutting exercise, has dispensed with their pre-transmission focus groups. <laughs> Instead, is just relying entirely on audience reaction as it goes out, um, which is why those last 48 episodes have never been transmitted. I mean, that's a real shame. Well, really,
1: we should come back to. We're talking about tinkering with formats. Just recasting one part in a sitcom and watching it all. For- I think one of the reasons Gary retains the audience's sympathy is Nicholas Lindhurst's performance and his general reputation. Now, put a different actor in that role. Who would be an actor in that role that you'd feel a bit more icky about?
0: The guy who played uh, Nasty Nick Cotton in EastEnders. Okay. Dudley Sutton.
1: <laughs> Ken Jones. <laughs> now let's let's stay reasonably <laughs> within the bounds of possibility of somebody that they might say would would say. Well, let's put him front and centre. Adam Faith. Yes. Yes. Or Dennis <laughs> Waterman.
0: Yes. Yeah. Derek Dedman.
1: No, actually, I think Derek would return the audience's sympathy. No, he's he's lovable. I can't
0: can't remember this guy's name. Who am I thinking of? The guy who was um, in a handful of episodes of Porridge. Ronald Lacey. Yes, right. Ronald Lacey, the age that he was in Porridge, so like so fairly young. Imagine if he was that age in Goodnight, Sweetheart. Right. As much as he wanted to sort of stick by this this proper moral code and he knew what he would and wouldn't do, he'd always have that temptation when he knew that nobody was looking to have a little subtle smirk to himself as if to say, "Mm, got away with that, didn't (laughs) I?
1: (laughs) That would be marvellous if he really made us love the character and then at the end of every
0: episode he'd spoil it. (laughs) 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 Yeah, it's always always at the end of the episode when you think that it's all just finished and so on. Oh man, good for you Gary, I hope it all works. Oh. Oh no! <laughs> the are rolling on the screen, and then he just suddenly turns and looks straight at the lens, and just has a little smart to himself, and just says, "I got away with it, didn't I? I Got away with it that time." No, we are the going to tackle ever-decreasing
1: week. circles sometime soon. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And now, I want bring...
0: to before before we before we move off, goodnight, sweetheart. I just well, actually, I actually want to want to just clarify one thing. I don't think that actually Gary Spader was horrible character at all. Um, actually, I actually really like Goodnight Sweetheart as a series. And you know what, he, he is alright. I mean, okay, he's a two-timing bastard, but <laughs> apart from that, he's got... He's, he's apart, got, he's got a good... apart from the massive betrayal of
1: trust, <laughs> yes, the implications of misogyny because of the double standard,
0: that our society would accept that. But actually, no, he does have certain rules. I mean, for example, when he wants to put a, a song into his son's name so that he could then get a good start in life and so on he actually makes sure first of all that it never made a penny originally so he's not actually taking anything from anybody else just little things like that where he could have a more cavalier attitude if that was in less careful hands from the writer's point of view, he could just sort of say, well, bucker it, you know, it's not as if I'm going to get any comeback on it, but no, actually yeah, he's, he's, he's okay. Yes, he is a, a heartless, two-faced um, Plagiarist. A plonker in his pants bastard, but yeah, but he, no, he's fine, he's a lovely chap. I Actually, yeah, I do, I, do, I like it as a series. So... so here's
1: a thought to hold on to for when we do Ever Decreasing Circles. My wife and I have this idea which is basically, it, it came about from watching Cal in the movie which is any part played by Anthony Valentine could also be played by Peter Egan. They are of a certain type, and yet the parts would be significantly different. Let me let, I'm going to have to go back, because I keep mentioning Callan. For, for anybody who's not off air with the show, it's about a government-employed assassin who hates his work. It's the only thing he's really good at. And anyway, if he gives it up, his boss is going to kill him. It's not a sitcom. <laughs> but I like it all the same and but it was originally a vehicle for Norman Wilson <laughs> anyway one of the other guys at the office is a guy called Toby Mears who is Eton, Sandhurst, and the guards posho and is a smirking sadist who has probably had everything handed to him in life because of his social station and enjoys killing people and enjoys torturing people. And he's played in the pilot by Peter Bowles. He just doesn't seem entirely comfortable. And in the TV series, he's played by Anthony Valentine, who's just horribly convincing. In the movie, because as well as sitcoms, ascending to brief cinema life, a few dramas did, he's played by Peter Egan. And again, smirking posh sadist, with Peter Egan, who would have been... About 28, I think, at the time of the movie, there's also this weird little element of immaturity about him. But my wife and I always have this weird little game now we play that whenever we see one or other, it's like, okay, switch him. Anthony Valentine in Ever Decreasing Circles, I think, I think this idea that Paul is mean would have really come through. I think it's just, I'm not saying that as an actor he's limited in his range. I think it's partially just the shape of his face
0: and a certain note that's in his voice. I'm at a bit of a disadvantage because I've not seen a great deal of Anthony Valentine's work because he's more drama than sitcom. However, just as you said there smirking sadist, I was thinking, okay, could Peter Egan have played Simon Cadell's role in Enemy at the Door?
1: Yes, but... Simon Cadell in Enemy at the Door we've turned into Drama Club and I ain't complaining Simon Cadell in Enemy at the Door is a committed follower of Nazism and is doing this because he believes all of it's true just the way I'm imagining I think with Peter Egan you kind of get back to the Toby Mears thing he's partially just in it for the kicks he's partially in it just because he gets to push people around
0: so could Simon Cadell have beaten in the paul in ever decreasing
1: circle. circles
0: yeah
1: he'd have been even fluffier i think than peter egan i think he'd almost start to have another problem an anthony valentine paul would be now you're picking on martin now you're you're playing him with him like a cat with a mouse a simon Cadell, paul martin stop being so angry you're gonna hurt him you're gonna do damage to him why are you, why, are you, why are you freaking out at this very nice man? It's a great game, isn't it? Just take an actor out, put another actor in and see what happens.
0: Okay, now this actually leads on to something that I was going to introduce. And it is nonsense and whimsy and so on. But it's something that keeps on cropping up in my head again and again. A slight variation from that. Not swapping actors, but keeping the same actor in a series changing his role to one that they've played previously. Now, the one that I keep on coming back to is take Nicholas Linhurst as he was in Butterflies and then cast him as Rodney. And how he was in Butterflies is exactly how he plays Rodney, and you're wondering and nothing else has changed in the story everything else is exactly the same and yet, Rodney's very well spoken. Uh, yeah, you get a real sense of proper.
1: simmering Class tension that yeah, Rodney okay. not only wants to better himself, he's part way there. Yes. Where there was a sort of estuary English, what's the name of Rhea's son in Butterflies? An estuary English version of him, it'd be kind of ice oh, faking it. It's trying to sound casual and cool. It's a middle class boy trying to pass himself off as something he's not.
0: And then I want to take. I wanna take Nicholas Lynn Out of the butterflies and from Buster (laughs) Merryfield. No 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 it's gonna be the same person. I wanna take I'll take Nicholas Lynhurst as Rodney and I wanna put him into the piglet files. (laughs) Um, and suddenly where he's got all these plausible explanations to his secret service bosses as to the latest cock up and so on and can sort of talk his talk his way out of a, you know, a locked room suddenly it doesn't have quite the same ring to it when he sounds like he's just and he's just dead by episode 2 no it wasn't the Russians are got him it was <laughs> his one side <laughs> now did you not say to me that you saw Leonard Pierce in an episode of was it did you say it was Sykes and you said he was playing quite a well spoken character yes right so okay put him back in the flat there's rodney from a uh, butterflies and granddad well from, now del's uh, just sweating and he, del's just, now del's del does like, so not fun.
1: belong there and, and part of is wondering how did they end up in that flat did granddad gamble away the family estate <laughs> because the episode of sykes i saw leonard Pearson, and he's like he's at the golf club he's not just well spoken he is upper class so we take now we take David Jason out as Dell Boy and put Jack Frost as <laughs> <his> Granville. Pardon? Pardon as <laughs> Granville. No, the thing is, it about Granville is I think Granville's fairly versatile. Well, he's kind of used to being bullied, but
0: also coping with it. Yeah, but he wouldn't have quite the same street smart. As Del Boy, I mean, in terms of being able to sort of keep the head above water. No, but in, weirdly, he'd so. be
1: more comfortable in a dingy flat with two posh people who don't belong yes, there yeah. than Del Boy would. Mm-hmm, he wouldn't true. get self-conscious. He'd always be able to be both sides of them, because I think Granville occasionally comes across as fairly erudite. So he he could probably outstrip them for erudition and then always sort of, ah, oh, but I'm just a simple working class shop boy. Granville would cope can we put
0: mr lucas into the dustbin men
1: he would love it as long as he got to live you know the same life as heavy breathing and and heavy breathing would definitely enjoy being in a shop where he wasn't having to service all the ladies of the neighborhood
0: <laughs> okay and the dustbin now... men
1: is not like a universal cultural touchstone so we might have to explain the dustbin men is about some dustbin men who collect dustbins there's four principal characters Actually, when we do The Dustbin Men, this is going to be interesting because the pilot of that is on film, no studio audience, done as a play, but still very broad comic play. It's not like it comes out of a drama. And the characters are very different. As I say, Trevor, Trevor Bennis' character is played by Harold Innocent. So anyway, The Dustbin Men. One of them, bolshy, barrack room lawyer, troublemaking shop steward type. I don't think he is actually a shop steward. One of them... Nice, sweet child man obsessed with light entertainment. As far as we can tell, all he does is watch television and cuts pictures out of Des O'Connor out of the TV Times for his mom. <laughs> Football hooligan. Um, kind of. Not not the worst excesses. This, this is a show that starts in the 60s so it's not like he's the 80s version. He's just incredibly passionate about Manchester City. And Trevor Bannister as a character called Heavy Breathing he seems to be like the, the the local stud and there are quite a few times the implication is that he he's not sure why he's doing it and occasionally he doesn't want to be doing it so I think if Heavy Breathing was offered a job in a department store he'd, he'd quite like it
0: Now what if you were to take Mr Humphrey's and put him in a rock factory in Little Hampton,
1: it 'd still be running
0: <laughs> right. Windsor Davis, never the Twain, substitutes him for Windsor Davis for an eight-half hot one and um, he hasn't quite adjusted to life outside of the army yet.
1: I think Simon Peel would be calling the police <laughs> a lot <laughs> because <of> the <laughs>
0: threats of physical violence. <laughs> <laughs> he'd be able to hear him through the walls
1: Ringo in the background just looking horrified it's like, this isn't what I agreed to I'm just supposed to lug antiques about and that concert troupe in Burma would be getting away with murder because as long as he looked like he was in charge I think he'd be quite happy to pretend that he was in charge all small Smallbridge as a sergeant major
0: speaking of shows switching characters the day saga Tripper's Slinger's Check It Out. Now, we will do that as a proper episode in the future. I don't know if it's one that <laughs> you necessarily want to be involved in. This is an interesting, interesting one, because you've got Trooper's Day, I'm talking about, first of all. Leonard Roster, sitcom set in a supermarket 1984. Later on revived as Slinger's Day with Bruce Forsyth in the role, and also remade in Canada as Check It Out, with Don Adams, formerly of Get Smart. And there you've got this show which... In theory, I'm not quite sure, to be honest, why it wasn't more of a success than it was. I mean, obviously, Leonard Voster died and that brought Tripper's Day to an end, but then with Slinger's Day, you know, in, in theory, that could have gone on and on. Which we on just discovered.
1: On, but... I'd always assumed that Slinger's Day was a last-minute substitution.
0: No, it there were couple, there were so of It just seemed so odd
1: that they would replace a well-known comic actor with somebody who hadn't really... I mean, he has done some acting, on the big screen, even. But Bruce Forsyth was not the first person you'd think of to front a sitcom.
0: Well, I suspect that might have been so that there weren't comparisons between the two. But what I was saying, there, aside from the actual players themselves and the individual circumstances, I'm surprised that just that vehicle did not take off more purely because a supermarket vehicle, it's absolutely ideal in terms of having a large ensemble cast which can also change over time and still stay relevant. And in Canada, it did have quite a few episodes. It had quite a few episodes over three different series. So you'd think that you would have scope in there for something... I mean, it's not a million miles away from something like Are You Being Served? with uh, everybody in a different rank and so on. So yeah, you'd think that it would be something which Bogdan Strovia has just sent us some tweets this evening with images of the Serbian only frozen horses, believe it or not. So, I don't know, maybe Tripper's Day is the biggest show going in, say, Lithuania. I have no idea. But you'd you'd think that it would be a format of legs. But how did you enjoy the one episode of Slinger's Antics that you saw? Rubbish. (laughs) It wasn't the show I remembered either. You had a completely false memory of it. I did,
1: I did. Because I watched it at the time, or rather the television was on when I was in the room at the time. And my memory was that Slinger gradually faded away and Brucey Came out more, and that <laughs> it was basically Brucey <laughs> supermarket, and that he was constantly breaking the fourth wall. and
0: Apparently, this is not the case. No, no, it really isn't. I was, I was quite disappointed to discover this. <laughs>
1: yeah, I, I had the image of him just like strutting around, and every time somebody said something stupid, instead of reacting to them, he just turned to the audience and do his Jack Benny look. Perhaps they should just, have done just thought, you scenes. know, the image of like a big stack of Kens falls over the audience laughs and Brucey just looks at him don't you start
0: (laughs) I'm in charge
1: (laughs) (laughs) so I was really disappointed to see that it wasn't the show I remembered and
0: there was no way my memory makes any sense it it is a shame because it would have been nice if they just said to Brucey okay well you know you've got all these props you've got your support and cast and what have you have fun we we probably should wrap up. So that's it then. You said enough. You don't you don't want to deal with what happened next, or should we throw
1: that out to the Twitter ship? The the, the what?
0: Oh yes, yeah, I've got this. I've got this habit of mishearing words these days, as, as you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. You thought you heard. We can't say it. We can't. I thought I heard the C word in an episode of Tripper's Day, and it was only when I actually gave the audio to Ocho that he listened to it carefully and, and, and revealed that the word was "fugs." Yes, and I was actually a little bit disappointed, to be honest. Who was the lead singer um, of Madness? <laughs> yes, it was. Yeah. I'm funny. <laughs> well, one area for discussion that we haven't really touched on yet, but we're going to throw this out to the listening community and we would like to hear people's suggestions for this and then we will do this as a full on show in a few weeks time is the popular round from Question of Sport, what happened next? Ocho can you explain With the crucial difference uh, that we don't know remember Question well, exactly, of Sport we don't, they we actually don't have knew any... what happened
1: I wasn't gonna, just speculate wildly because the footage actually <laughs> ends there
0: so yeah, if, if if Paul Gascoigne had actually scored that, that goal, that he didn't there, what do you think would have happened next? And well, yeah, I think they probably would have gone on. I think they still would have won the game and things fundamentally would have been you know, the same. We're a bit more open-ended.
1: Well, history's caught up with us. It's been spoiled for us. It was something just occasionally come back to. Going, well, so what do you think happened after the last episode of X? And there was always one that we speculated about. And now we're going to find out what happened to Granville.
0: Ah, but hang on a second, because I've got an outrageous suggestion for you. Okay. Why don't we do that right now? Let's. We've always said that when we would do this...
1: That the rules are actually slightly different for us than they are for Roy Clark. That sounds bizarre, doesn't it? Because when we would be talking about what happened next, part of that was what would happen if they're basically freed from their formats. Whereas bringing back open all hours... <laughs> And saying the format has gone would be a big risk. It wouldn't be beyond the band's possibility for Roy Clark to write something very entertaining about Granville out of Doncaster. But I can understand why it's kind of like, no, it's, it's got to be Granville in the format. Otherwise, why bring back okay, Open well, All Hours?
0: Well, okay, well, let's see then. Let's try this just now with Granville. And we will operate within the laws of the Open All Hours universe. And we will see then how this actually compares, because this will be probably...
1: Yeah, because when we're saying operating within the laws of the universe, what we really mean is any speculation we have has to fit in tone with the show that we've just watched. You can't suddenly have an ending for Granville that's really dark.
0: Yeah, true.
1: By the same token, you can't really have a happy ending for Steptoe and Son.
0: Well, we know what the ending of Steptoe and Son... We know what that would have been because Scotland Simpson already said that. But the interesting thing about this example here is that in a few months' time, we will actually find out how close our prediction, so to speak, is, whereas in every other case when we do this in the future, we've got nothing to measure it by. Before we actually do this, let me just say just now we would like your suggestions on characters for a future episode of the sitcom club entitled what happened next so please uh, drop us a line at feedback at sitcomclub.com or tweet us at this sitcom club and let us know who would you like to hear us discuss in a future episode we do
1: just ask that you don't discuss what happens after the last episode of ever decreasing circles until after (laughs) mooncat has watched it okay (laughs) don't spoil it for him because you're all going to want to hear his first time reaction not Somebody just tweeting, blowing the fact that it turns out that Paul is actually their son who's, who's traveled back in time to guarantee his own existence. Oh, sorry, I'm
0: sorry. We did, off air, some time ago, we did actually speculate about whether Granville would have gotten married and to whom. Now, we don't need to speculate well, about that any I longer have because to say, as I never far as committed. We're aware,
1: I always said it's just a coin flip. He was always going to have two destinies. But I think we both agreed that he wasn't going to stay in the shop forever. Well, one of the ideas was was that eventually Nurse Gladys Emanuel's mother dies. Arkwright does get married, and somehow Nurse Gladys Emanuel prevails upon Arkwright to close the shop, and they move to Scarborough and open another shop.
0: Now, do we have to work within the restrictions that have been placed upon us since the BBC Press Office announced? No, that let's in play the, the, new... the original
1: game we played, where we just okay, sort of so, said so, anybody right. can be freed from the format.
0: Okay, if Granville isn't still running Arkwright's store, so to speak, what would he be doing then?
1: Well, my idea is it came down to really two possibilities. Because, again, a bit like Billy Henshaw, Granville's very popular with women. Women crowd round him if they think he's slightly upset. He does get a crowd of women around him in one episode. It really comes down to who does he end up with? There's the milkwoman who is more worldly than Granville and I don't think her engagement really goes anywhere. Is it Series 3 or Series 2 that we find out she's engaged and by Series 4 there's nothing moved on that front? Or there's Julie who, as far as she's concerned, Granville is worldly and sophisticated. (laughs) She looks up to Granville. I'm going to say right now, I'm going to grant Granville a happy ending. He's not going to have a brief fling with the milkwoman who then leaves him because he's too much of a wimp. But you've got two, really. You've got Granville learning how to be a normal guy with normal expectations of him and coping in a full social world, and the milkwoman occasionally despairing of him, occasionally being amused how he comes up with his own naive but effective solution to certain problems. Or you've got Granville and Julie. Out in the big wide world, the blind leading the blind.
0: Are we not forgetting a third possibility? Go on. Mavis.
1: That one doesn't interest me as much. <laughs> because I think if he ended up with Mavis, he'd just end up in a suburban, boring life. And there isn't quite that same powerful attraction. But let's face it, he nearly befouls the shop with his behaviour, with only two women. You know, the, the milkwoman she was pulling her skirt
0: down when when Arkwright barged in. Granville had even straightened his hair, for goodness (laughs) sake.
1: And with Julie, we we, we just heard a lot of talk about her legs.
0: I've got to be honest, I do worry about Granville. I mean, we said earlier about how... He's fortunate enough to be a
1: Roy Clark character that Roy Clark likes. Every sitcom universe, shall we say, or a lot of the good ones, have their own gods. And Roy Clark is a benevolent god in general. Even let's face it, when he's dealing with what is essentially a sad moment in *Last of the Summer Wine* with Compo, but he does actually give Compo a kind of glorious ending.
0: Am I making an unfair comparison here? Tell me if you think I am. An episode of *Only Fools* where Rodney's had enough of Del Boy and decides that he's going to go into business for himself. Or specifically, with Mickey Pierce, he doesn't cope very well. I mean he within the space of a week he's been conned by Dell as it happens into buying a load of old I think lawnmower engines, and Mickey Pierce has done a runner with the firm's capital, and Rodney's basically brassic and all within a relatively short space of time now i'm thinking, would Granville sort of find himself in a similar situation if say, for example. Almost to sort of test him, would would Arkwright suddenly spring it on him one morning? You're running the shop today. How would he get on with that? The, first time the thing that about he Granville found himself is he's not,
1: he's not arrogant. I think Rodney can be a bit arrogant because <laughs> he's got two GCEs. There is a certain extent that he thinks he is slightly ahead of the curve and a little bit too good.
0: But so, sometimes Granville can come across like that towards Arkwright as well. I don't think he's. he thinks he's better
1: than he is. No, when you're talking about Mickey Pierce, you, do you know the saga
0: of Hot Rods? Uh, it's not going to be a bell. I was reading
1: this on Wikipedia, so it might even be true. Supposedly, David Jason had had enough of Only Fools, was going to leave, I don't know after which series, I don't know if you want to start bringing this up while I'm talking about it. What was going to happen was Del Boy was going to move to Australia. We were, right. we're not not in the, not in the sitcom way that we'd follow him. And... <laughs> the next series would be Hot Rods, which is just Rodney and Mickey
0: Pearce as trailers. <laughs> okay. Right. Hang on. Let's have a look then. Uh, so I've got my phones. uh Mickey Pearce.
1: Okay, we're back. Because <laughs> Can I believe what I you've just missed hours? on this recording is about 20 minutes of me researching and failing to find any evidence of the claims I made. And for one horrible moment, thinking that somehow I had completely imagined this whole thing. And this is not like my memory of Slinger's Day, because that's like 30 years ago. This was like a month ago, I'm sure I read this. Where I found it. Series 5, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, was originally supposed to be the last episode of Only Fools and Horses. And Rodney and Albert would have returned with Mickey Pierce in Hot Rod. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you, kinda, you cannot say that name without of laughing. I mean, we, that, that's great for a sitcom, but. Maybe that's um, what t- changed yeah. David Jessen's mind.
1: <laughs> Don't worry, David. All the best to you. We're going to put uh, Nicholas and Buster in a show called Hot Rod. <laughs> so they'll be humiliated. <laughs> people follow them around shouting hot rod at them i i gotta change this so what's this episode you're talking about where rodney gets cheated and we find out that he wouldn't make it on his own
0: yeah it's fairly early on rodney has had enough of dell boy haranguing him and so on i mean rodney at that particular stage is just dell's lookout that's all that's all he's doing all day is just you know keeping an eye out for Bobby's on the beat because Dell doesn't have a trader's license and in a sort of uh, fit of anger just says to to Dell look uh, I, I want to dissolve our partnership I want to go out on my own and so yes he goes into business with Mickey Pierce he's clearly not prepared for it at all he's trying to out Dell boy Dell boy rather than trying to sort of make a niche for himself with his own particular talents he's just trying to go straight into the only world that he knows which is the, the whole market trading and of course he's not properly equipped for it because he doesn't have Dell's gift of the gab and he doesn't have his experience and so finds himself broke and having been hoodwinked by Mickey Pierce and by Dell in the space of a week or so. Now that's a bit the key bit there is that that was the only world that he knew and it's the same with Granville Granville has basically been looked after by his uncle but and Granville grown up would not try shop. to
1: out Arkwright Arkwright In fact, I think Granville would probably use a bit of a wounded fawn manoeuvre and get all the women in the neighbourhood buying from his shop because they felt sorry for him. I think Granville has a reasonable idea of his own limits. He may occasionally make a fool of himself when he gets a little bit carried away with romantic visions, but I don't think he's big-headed enough to really do something catastrophic because he thinks he's brilliant.
0: Yeah... I think that perhaps Granville is capable of being a bit more cunning than Rodney. Not in a, not in a malicious way but I think yeah, he, he could outfox. To an extent he could outfox Arkwright. Although I think Arkwright would probably end up getting the better of him. We think it's more likely to settle down with Julie than with Milk Lady.
1: Coin flip. Complete coin flip. I don't think either scenario is more likely than the other, even by the rules of this universe.
0: But do you think that the, do you think the latter is more likely to be a better situation? For Granville because it it could be that eventually the, the milk woman sort of maybe no, tires off. I think him things
1: bit. would just work out differently, but I don't think he'd come a cropper in either one. Like I say, he's Roy Clark character that Roy Clark likes. Red was Potter. Another Roy Clark character, but mmm not quite so sure that he's not heading for at least a little bit taken down a peg. Not necessarily destroyed and humiliated, but <sighs>
0: Arkwright now, after frequently Spets. says
1: <laughs> Sorry, go
0: on. Arkwright frequently says in the series, one day all this will be yours. And we have no reason to doubt him about that. I would, I would doubt that if, for example, Delboy was to say that to Rodney. I would doubt him very much. Whereas, in Arkwright's case, he will leave the shop to Granville. So even if Granville and his new bride go and live wherever, at some point He's gonna inherit that shop. And it could be just to suddenly land slap back in reality in twenty thirteen, for all we know, on Christmas night, that could be exactly the scenario that we're talking about. It could be that Granville is, is doing his thing, doing his sort of artistic, creative thing somewhere, one of the four corners of the earth, and then suddenly is told you've inherited this shop. do? I don't, are you going to do I don't it? think it's
1: likely. I um, think I think it's more gonna be a case if he never left or never never entirely left just because it takes less explaining you're wasting less of people's precious Christmas nights
0: but either way, in our alternative reality, we have to keep that in mind he is going to inherit that shop no matter what he does with it, so well, I've, I've already put out a scenario assume... that he
1: he might not inherit that shop, or that the shop he inherits might be in Scarborough, or Filey, be somewhere on the east coast
0: ok, yeah
1: I mean, essentially, in some ways, what we're we'll saying, what happens next, is basically make a workable concept that's not the same concept with the same characters.
0: Do we not think though that Granville, he does have frustrated, creative slash academic aspirations, so he doesn't really want to be stuck behind the counter, even if he's then his own boss. It's not where he wants to be, is it? Well, like we said, we've freed
1: though. We've we don't have to stick to... You know, he can just come back and sell it. I think Christmas night we're going to see... Granville's been there for 40 years. Maybe maybe he's finally no longer 29. Like, <laughs> like he seemed <laughs> to be for the... Which there was a discussion on a message board where somebody had sort of said, no, hang on a minute, We haven't we all agreed that he's about 40? And it's like, no, the dialogue, I think, indicates that he's pretty much supposed to be roughly the same age throughout. Because...
0: I mean it would it would be a hell of a, a move a very brave move but I mean even with the 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 range that David Jason has I mean okay I know that he he sort of made his name in part by playing characters who were much much older than him but I don't know that he's going to turn up in in 2013 <laughs> and suddenly still be still playing a 35 five-year-old Granville. It would be bloody brilliant if he did.
1: <laughs> this is something I think we need to come back to for every single sitcom in the universe you know what, you know what I wish I'd kept this edition of Radio Times from a million years ago then the Radio Times they did once too are what happened next with photoshopped pictures or whatever the (laughs) 90s equivalent of photoshop was Was Norman Chappell said that Alan and Miss Jones in Rising Damp eventually get round to each other and there was a photoshopped picture of them in bed together Just, (laughs) just just sitting up enjoying (laughs) <laughs> a cup of tea and a cigarette maybe. It wasn't an addition to the Radio Times that
0: came in a sealed bag for a red triangle.
1: <laughs> that's where I first found out about the sequel to to and Son. So and I can't remember what other characters were dealt with. But uh, I, 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 I don't even know what year that happened.
0: I do sort of remember I mean okay, now would it not be because 'cause we're actually that's a good segue there. In the next few weeks, we will be calling a sitcom club podcast on the subject of revivals, and focusing on probably three specific shows: the Doctor series, which came back after about a sort of fifteen-year gap; the Life of ah! and uh, the Legacy you of Virtual Parent. D- Maybe it was I'm in wondering. relation to one yes, of those. Yes. Maybe it was 1996 or so. Yeah. yeah. So we'll save that for that particular episode but that's an interesting topic, I mean we can have these whimsical conversations about what we think would have happened to a character it's entirely different when you see it, and we're going to find out how Birds of a Feather are getting on in 2014 um, <laughs> and the, these things you know, some sometimes these things You're doing it again, you're referring uh, to uh, the characters be... by the
1: title of the show which I approve of <laughs> I think Dear John would have been much better if after Series 1 everybody just called him Dear John. (laughs) Who'd win in a fight between Dear John and Die Hard? Well... The winner goes on to fight Juliet Bravo.
0: It Depends on whether Die Hard has just been sort of woken up after nodding off in the chair and Dear John is armed with a selection of weapons which he's probably got out of his kitchen. So, there's not going to be really anything lethal in there. I mean, he could probably do some damage with a cheese grater. Bruce Willis wakes up in this armchair and he looks,
1: and his vision sort of is a bit blurry, and then it focuses on the face of Ralph Bates, who looks mad. He goes, Dear John, what are you doing here? I've come for <laughs> revenge, die out. hard. You'll never <laughs> beat me. I brought back up, I brought
0: Dear John USA.
1: And John Hurst jumps out from behind the curtain.
0: And for some reason, Danny DeVito has followed him from the, the, the taxi rank. Hang Don't on, you're, you're, you're here to too, be taxi. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Who's, who's that shambling around, knocking over all the furniture? It's some other <laughs> I've got a name, you know. <laughs> Frank or you Spencer's chopping, become chopping a bit bullshit. bullshit hasn't he? <laughs> instead of Ooh Betty, his, his new character is his, I have a name. Yeah. <laughs> It works for the gaffer. That's perfect. <laughs> yes. The gaffer. There you go. Oh, dear. Doesn't work for trouble in mind. But then again, nothing works for trouble in mind. Do you know what I want to see? And you're probably going to cut this, because this is actually isn't going to go anywhere. But shows that I can't get hold of. Number one, Honey for Tea. Number two, Jimmy Perry sitcom Room Service with Matthew Kelly. So we've covered quite a lot of ground this week. Like I say, please... Let us know what sitcom characters you would like to hear us discuss. What happened next to them by getting in touch with the sitcom club on Twitter and feedback at sitcom club. And you can also find us on Facebook as well and at sitcom com.
1: And for those of you who are wondering, the winner of the big Die Hard versus Dear John scrap was Casanova 73.
0: And next time we're here, what in the wide, wide world of sport are we going to be discussing?
1: Next time it will be series one and two
0: of Ever Decreasing Circles. Thank you very much indeed for joining us on the Sitcom Club. I have been Mooncat and Co. Ocho who have you been?
1: I've been Co haven't I? You've been Mooncat and I guess I've been Co.
0: Well no because my Twitter handle is Mooncat and Co. You see. So the the Co principally is Beryl Reed and Stephen Boxer.
1: There you go. I have been Beryl Reed and Stephen Boxer.
0: We will be back. Join us again in the future. For... Unless
1: you're Gary Sparrow. In which case, join us in the past. (laughs) Goodbye!